We're going to, uh, before we dive into Psalm 51, going to be in Psalm 51 this morning. Um, if you guys are, are people that, that like knowing what's ahead, I don't know, social media is the only little, little place that we like say what psalm we're going to be in. I get tons of emails every, all week, you know, what psalm are we going to be in? I usually don't know until like Wednesday. So, um, but uh, I, I knew this week it was, it was Monday. And I think, don't hold me to it, okay, don't, don't chain me to this. I think Psalm 73 might be next week. So if you want to journal that down and mark it and then, you know, study it all week and then feel like you're ahead, that's great. Um, and then I'll just take away all the stuff that you thought it was about, all right? So um, that's, that's how we'll operate. So Psalm 51 is where we're going to be. I want to give you guys two announcements rolling into uh, the week. Uh, very excited. You know, we're offering a little bit of summer school this summer. Uh, we're going to offer an apologetics class where we hope that you guys can, can grow in confidence in what we believe as the people of God. So um, I said last week, if, if you're a new Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're a skeptic, if you're a seeker, if you've been walking with Jesus, Jesus for a long time. I still think this would be a wonderful opportunity for you to um, kind of be strengthened back into, you know, why do we believe what we believe? How do I know Christianity is true? How can I trust the scriptures? Um, what are the, the kind of foundational attacks currently on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how, how can we be anchored into it and confident? And also, how do we then thoughtfully engage those around us, the life and mind around us, with the truth of who God is? So that's super important. Um, you, we want to be thoughtful in that. Um, we don't. We believe that the Christian faith is a rational faith. It's not a blind faith. It's not something that you just uh, solely uh, hope for. It's stuff that we have rock-solid assurance of. And so um, that'll be on Tuesdays. You can register online. It'll go, I think, five weeks. And uh, I, I just am so encouraged. I don't think we can fill up. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's filling up, if that's possible to say. So if you're interested, let us know, because we've got a lot of planning we want to do for that. So uh, last thing is prayer. We love to pray as a people. Um, we gather the last Wednesday of every month to pray corporately right here. Uh, this Wednesday will be a corporate prayer for this month. We also gather at 8.15 every Sunday morning to pray. So encouraged at what God is doing in those times. Um, we, it's a good time to primarily remember that, that nothing can happen if we don't seek His face and ask Him to, to do something. It does not matter how many sermons you hear, how many times you gather, how many prayers you pray. Um, if the Holy Spirit does not move through them, right, and does not act upon them. And so we want to be a people that are dependent on him for everything that we see, everything that we do together as a family. And so uh, I encourage you to come this Wednesday at 730, 730 to 830. Uh, we'll be gathering for prayer. Uh, and in keeping that in mind, why don't we just ask God to show up, ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts this morning. I know a lot of us enter this room with a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, a lot of expectations, a lot of burdens. Um, it is a wide landscape. Uh, of our hearts this morning. So let's ask the Lord to be gracious. God, would you help us understand truth this morning? Would you help us understand your word in the ways that you desire it to be understood? Um, would you help us to understand who you are and your nature and character and understand the weight of what um, you've done for us in Christ and that you would free us from condemnation, free us from guilt that should not be there, God, convict us where we need conviction, challenge us where we need challenge, comfort us where we need comfort, exhilarate our hearts and the joy it is to follow and know Jesus Christ. Make us more like your son this morning from just one shade of glory, just by being together and sitting under your, your, your word. Help us in Christ's name, amen. 
Amen. Psalm 51. I want to say I was so encouraged coming off of Psalm 23 last week, uh, just talking with so many of you, just how Psalm 23 encouraged you uh, in, the, in the Father heart of God and what it means that he's our good shepherd. And what's really awesome is, is David, the same one who wrote Psalm 23, wrote Psalm 51. Here you're going to see. And really, uh, he almost kind of shows you how you can approach this good shepherd, what life is like now with this good shepherd. So uh, it's actually, in, in some ways, um, kind of he rides the coat of Psalm 23 uh, in Psalm 51 right here. Um, and I just want to say up front, um, today, today is, is, I'm praying that God would press us in, in ways that maybe he hasn't pressed us before. It might be difficult, but like any good surgery or surgeon, it's to bring about healing, to bring about restoration, to bring about life. And so um, that's just what uh, I've been asking God, because we consistently say we're after your joy in Christ. Um, that we want our joy to be full. That's why Christ came. And so if we don't allow him to do some of these things, we're never going to walk in the walk with him and the communion with him that he actually designed us to walk and commune with him in. And so... Um we're actually not going to look at the entire psalm, just probably the first seven verses or so. It would take me, I could do two months on this entire psalm to tease everything out uh, as to what could be teased out of it. But we're going to look in probably the first uh, six or seven verses. And it's really just a, a beautiful picture of the way God calls us into relationship, how to walk with him in this relationship. It's really Psalm 51 in its, in its finest, simplest form. Uh, this is how we walk with God. This is what a relationship should, should look like. It should be characterized by this confessing and this repenting. And then walking away rejoicing. It's this amazing, amazing picture that you see, um, this picture of repentance. Now, even though the word's not explicitly stated in this psalm, you can see the brokenness of this brother, and in light of the holiness of God and the character of who he is, and a turning to him in joy for what he's going to do and him forgiving him of his sin. And so, um, you're really just going to see a picture of repentance. Um, you're going to see this, this understanding of him being contrite, being broken, understanding the weight of what he has done and how God will restore him. And so, um, if you're familiar, new, new to repentance, if that's like a word you're not uh, familiar with, it's, it's in its simplest form. Uh, it's, it's kind of this consistent theme you see in Scripture uh, that God asks us constantly to turn away from the way that we think things should be and align ourselves and walk in the ways that God establishes the ways things should be. Okay, so we're all born broken. We're all born with a disposition to think and see and walk outside of God's design, outside of God's ideal, outside of how God made the world to operate, right? Post-Genesis 3, when sin entered human history, uh, we all have that bent. We all have that disposition. It's in our nature, and it's also in our actions, and it's in our associations, and it's in the, the ways that we, that we do activities. And so we all come to a point where we need to be willing to repent of our sin if we're going to continue walking and following Jesus Christ. Um, and so what's awesome here in, in this understanding of repentance is um, this is really out of the gate, one of Jesus' first messages, right? I mean, he kind of pulls from John the Baptist. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. If you're familiar with your gospels, what he simply meant was, hey, repent, change your mind, change your thinking as to how you think according to how God thinks. Uh, that's why Christ is coming. That's why God is invading human history in the work of his son. And so that's what, what we see as repentance in the Bible. And so where we enter this psalm, uh, David, David's a king. He's a political leader. He's a spiritual leader. He's enjoying just 
just the spoils of being uh, over his uh, empire at the time that God gave him. And at one point, he sends troops to fight a particular battle. He goes and he looks out over his kingdom that God has given him, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba. He tells his servants, hey, call to her. Uh, She comes to him. He commits adultery. Then he has her uh, husband killed because he realizes that she's pregnant because he laid with her, and it takes him time. He sits where he continues actually doing his priestly duties after the sin. So he's got like three accounts against him for for physical death. He's got conspiracy, he's got adultery, and he's got now murder. So he's, he's well aware that he's deserving of not just spiritual death, but physical death. And what's amazing is Nathan, his friend, eventually comes and confronts him. Nathan says, um, you got to repent of this sin. He, he doesn't really see it. And then later, there's probably a 12 to 24-month possible period before he actually comes to a place of repentance, which you see in him writing this psalm here. Now, I was thinking about this as we dive in here, um, that there's probably many of us that come in here week after week and never deal with the real issue. Right? Like, I mean, we just, we come in and we sing some songs and we hear a sermon and we say hi to some people and we leave and we never deal with the issue. Like, there's not real honesty. Why? Because we're so used to lying. Right? We just, we lie to everybody. We, we talk to people and portray ourselves on social media and talk about ourselves like we're better than we really are. How are things going? Great. Isn't that everybody's answer? Great. Good. Your house is on fire and it's just great. Stuff's good, right? Marriage is on fire. Things are going great. Yeah, man, we're going out to dinner tonight, man. Things are just clicking, man. Kids are great. They're addicts, but we're, we're just doing great, right? I mean, this is weird, this bizarre way that we talk. And so it bleeds into your prayer life, right? With God. Hey, God, man, I, I just, I, I, things are pretty good. Can you help me here? Can you help me here? You never want to bear your soul, though. You never want to do like David, which just says, man, I'm, I've done what is evil, sinful. Right, because the joy is found there, not in this hiding, not in this false protection of the phoniness that exists in many of us. And so here's what it, it, it kind of looks like. I was thinking about this um, this week, how there's this major error in your life that God wants to restore. He wants to fix. He wants to heal. You, you, we don't want to just deal with it. it. It's like if this whole stage is your house, right, and this, this music stand is just a pile of manure, okay, in the middle of your house, and you're going to clean your house, Right, you're gonna you're gonna restore your house. You're like you're you just you know oh here's a window right here, and you're like you're you're sweeping, right. Meanwhile, there's a whole pile of crap right here, right. You're just walking around it. Now, think how crazy this would be is if you you're done cleaning the peripherals. You look at your house and go perfect, right. I mean, no, you need a shovel, right? I mean, you need to get a shovel, start, start digging and start hauling and get, getting rid of the real issue. But yet, man, in Christianity and in our faith, sometimes I feel like that's exactly what we do. Man, we love to like, oh, Lord, I feel like I had like a bad thought yesterday. Or We're not dealing with just the, the, the places of our hearts, the cavernous valleys, where God wants us to confess those and deal with those and be honest about those. Why? Because he's a good, holy God that actually is eager to show mercy. I mean, some of the reasons, the reason you don't even approach God is because you don't actually think you'll be forgiven by God. You think God is just set to oust you. And David shows us a totally different way. And so if I could sum it up, here is what he simply says. Here's what Psalm 51 is. David admits his sin, asks for forgiveness, and walks away rejoicing. Is that you? That's it. That's all he does. He admits his sin, confesses it, lays it out, doesn't pretty it up, doesn't lie about it, doesn't excuse it, doesn't justify it, asks for forgiveness, and walks away rejoicing. 
Um, now, many of us feel like that's too simple, but it's really not when you understand the character and nature of who God is and what he's done in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so David's going to say, uh, here's the pattern. Because uh, most of the time, we don't walk away rejoicing. Why? We don't really think we're actually forgiven, right? Really, God actually forgives us. So let's look at I'm, I'm going to give you guys a, about four things that we're going to see as to how we build a life of repentance in our hearts from Psalm 51. The first thing is you need to know the character of God. You need to know the character of God, verse 1. This is the first thing David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. First thing David does is he pushes headlong into the character of who God is. Like, if you're going to learn how to repent of sin, if you're going to learn how to walk with this God, the first thing he appeals to is pushing into God. This is amazing, right? He doesn't just sit and stare at his sin. He acknowledges, he, he sees the character of God. Now, why is this important? Without understanding the character of God, you will never want to walk in repentance. Why? Because our normal stance with him is when we sin against him, we want to run because we think he's going to come after us. We don't, we don't push into his heart. We don't push into his character and nature that he revealed to us in his mercy, in his abundant love. And we think God is angry and aggressive, but David knows something about the living God that's beautiful and powerful. He knows something about him. Right? He's in touch with the character of God. This is Psalm 23. He's in touch with the good shepherd. He wants you to walk in these pastures. He doesn't want you to just gaze at it from a distance. He wants you to experience it. He wants the godness of God to overwhelm you. And here we see he has this aspect of God that he knows. That word mercy really means two things. It means, God, don't give me what I deserve. And it also means, God, if I'm in the midst of doing something that I do deserve, don't give me quite what I do deserve. Don't give me the fullness of it. Don't give me the punishment of it. Um, some of us, if we're honest, we've blown it, right? And, and we don't want to come before God um, because actually we have a, a wrong theological construct about who he is. That's actually why you don't want to come before him. That's why you don't want to seek his face. But man, those of us who have been brought into relationship to God through Jesus Christ, we want to storm down the gates of the throne. Don't we? I mean, we want to approach this throne of grace. No, we have a, a God that showed mercy. He's our covenant keeper. He's the one who stood in the gap. So we don't want our relationship to be on the fringe at all with God. So we'll do whatever it takes and say, okay, God, that's what you're like. Okay, this is what I'm not like. Help me turn from the way that I think and the way that you say things should be. Help me to throw myself on that mercy seat, so to speak, and trust not in my goodness, but on the one who stood in the gap for me and paid the debt for me. Like, that's how you begin to approach him. That's how you come to him. That's what David is showing us here, this, this amazing picture of him focusing on who God is more than his sin. Because, see, uh, many times we go about it all wrong, even confession. We go about it totally wrong. We, we treat God like other human beings. And, and we come to God and we want to forgive him, but we come to him appealing on our own goodness and not on his character. And we all do this. We, we all approach him like this. Um, there are times where we'll say things like, God, you know I was trying really hard and I just blew it, so you should forgive me. You know I was trying, right? Or we let time pass. How many of us do that, right? 
Like you just totally blow it, you blaspheme his name, you belittle his name through some particular sin, but you feel like if I just let time pass before I actually come to him, then I'll, I'll try to do some good works in there. I'll up my church attendance, right? I might, I might look at a book of the Bible. I might read a verse. I might so try, try to sprinkle in some good works. And then you come to him later going, hey, hey, see my, see my good works the last couple weeks? Okay, now I'll come to you and ask for your forgiveness. We do all these crazy things with him. We, we don't approach his throne of grace. We, 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 we operate in this way where we're coming to him with our goodness and not the goodness of who he is. Um, we did that to our parents, right? Right? If you were trying to be smart, right? If you, like, broke a window or did something really bad, what? You'd wait a year before you told them, right? Because, I mean, what are they? They're really going to punish me a year from now, right? I mean, then you come to them, hey, Mom, Dad, i got to tell you something I did five years ago. They're like, really? And you, know, you confess it then? And you're like, I know you can't really punish me now. I'm in college, but like, I did that. that that's, how we, that's how we treat God sometimes. There's this fear. There's this like weirdness that happens. That's not at all how God desires us to come to him as his kids. In fact, it doesn't help relationship. It further damages relationship. It severs our union and communion with God. See, um, understand we do these things. You're appealing to God based on your own goodness and not the goodness of his name. You realize that? Like you're fundamentally approaching him wrong. And understand, this is the biggest mistake we can make in living as God's children. Biggest mistake we can make is saying, God, forgive me. I'm really sorry. I've been crying the whole time. Don't you see how depressed I am? Don't you see how I'm like even, I'm, I'm causing myself harm. I'm ruining my life for you. Don't you see how I'm just, I'm just wallowing. I'm sad. I'm, man, now you should forgive me. You're still appealing to aspects of you. You're so focused on you and you should be focused on him. He wants your heart and mind drived into what his character is like and what he has done for us in the cross of Christ. The whole time you're looking at yourself. That's why the beauty of the Christian faith is it's built upon not the faithfulness of you and me, but the faithfulness of him. That's what it's built upon. That's what our salvation stems from is that God has been faithful. God pursued you. He sent Jesus. You didn't send Jesus. In your sin, you, you didn't send someone after you. Man, the gospel shows us that God lovingly confronts the sinfulness of sin in Jesus Christ, that he is a God that pursues and goes after and wants us to approach him and come to him in this way. I mean, think about this. Do you, do you believe that this, if there's brokenness in your relationship with him, do you believe that God wants restoration in your relationship with him more than you? Do you, one, realize that? Number two, do you believe that? Like, like you know, there, there's some moments where you've got this, this pestering sin or there's some aspect of your life where you feel like you're just creating this, this separation with him and it's just like it, you just have unrest about it. Do you know that he, he wants that resolved more than you? Do you know that he wants peace in this relationship that you have with him more than you? I mean, I mean when you read the scriptures, don't you see that he loves you more than you love him? Like, don't you see that when you read the Bible, that, that he's the one who pursued you in your sin? That he's the one that went after you and you were just blaspheming his name and wanting to be God of your life and not wanting him on the throne? Don't you see that it was him loving you and him pursuing you and him dying for you? You didn't die for you. You didn't send Jesus for you. Yet all the scriptures would testify to the very reason we should believe this, yet we don't. We somehow think that we have one-upped him or we are more serious about it than him, yet the core of the gospel is God's willingness 
to confront the sinfulness of sin in Jesus Christ for us out of love and mercy. So David says, have mercy, O God, according to what? That's huge. According to your steadfast love. I mean, think about this. This is so important. When David goes before God and asks for forgiveness, he, goes, he doesn't say, hey, God, forgive me because I'm just not that bad. God, forgive me because, man, haven't you seen the ways that I've been good this week? God, forgive me because, man, it's my parents. You know, my parents turned me into this. Don't you see it's not my fault? He says, God, forgive me because you are so loving. Like your love never fails. Like that's, that's why I know you can forgive me. He's appealing to God's character. He's appealing to his nature. He's appealing to his heart. He's not looking at all at himself. He's not making excuses. He's not justifying. He goes, forgive me because you are so loving. And he appeals to God based on God's goodness and not his own. What a beautiful picture in Psalm 51. I love it. God, I'm coming to you not because I'm so good, but because you are so good. It's in your character. That's why he says, according to your great mercy, blot out my transgressions here. See, it wasn't about him at all, was it? It was about God. It was about who he was offending and whose character has made a way for him even in his sin. Interesting because he doesn't appeal to God or call to God in relation to his anger of God being responsive to his wrath because of his hatred for sin, which is totally justifiable, which is totally true. God is just. God will punish sin. But that's not the, the character that he appeals to. He calls it hessedness. He says, I know you're going to deal with that yourself. I need your steadfast love. I need your mercy that's abundant. I need your hessedness to cover me. He knows God's loyal love to his people. He knows of God's covenant love to his people based upon the future work of Jesus Christ. See, repentance doesn't start with sin. It starts with God. Repentance doesn't start with sin. It starts with God. I mean, otherwise, listen, if all you do is look at your sin, you're going to need medicine and a lot of help because your sin can only take you to your sin. It can't take you beyond it. But David looks to God who can take him beyond his sin. And how many of those, you look, they just stare at their sin. I'm such a sinner. I'm such a waste. I just, you just stare at that. You just become depressed. <laughs> I'm such a wretch. I'm such a, okay, yeah, you are. But look to God who made a way. Look to God's mercy and love and care. You know, Satan wants your sin to lead you to ruin, and God wants you, your sin to lead you to repentance. Very different. So we need to understand the character of God if we're going to build a life of repentance. Second thing is we need to understand the character of our sin. Now, this is not going against the first point. We need to primarily focus on God more than our sin, but we also do need to have an awareness of our sin. So it's not not having awareness of our sin. It's what you do after God reveals that sin. Are you looking to him in his character? We have to understand the character of our sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So as David's appealing to the character of God for forgiveness, right, he's pushing headlong into who God is and the, the heart that's been revealed, right, from God and his mercy. Exodus 34, the first things he can say as he speaks his character as I'm a God of mercy and compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. So David knew this well, right? He's appealing to the first words that God said, but in the midst of that he says, because I know my sin. He acknowledges it. 
Like he's not coming to God in his character and dismissing his sin and justifying his sin. He still understands the character and nature of his sin. He says, the truth is, it's right before me. See, the truth is there is so much hidden in this room. Now, you know it, no one else knows it, but your sin is always before you just like David. Right? You're going, no, no, I, I see it every single day, and I can lie about it, I can try to justify it, I can try to push it to the side, but I know the feelings of hatred I have towards that person, I know the things that I look at on the internet, I know the ways that I, I flirt with this woman or this man at my work, I know the ways that, that I've blasphemed God's name, I know the anger that sits in the deep-seated places, I know the pride that bubbles up in me, I know the greed that I have, I, you know it. It's always before you, just like David. He goes, I see my sin. It's always before me. It's right there. I try to pretend it's not there at times, but I can't escape it. I can't get away from it. Now, the Hebrew understanding of I know, I know my transgressions, it means this something intimately. David's saying that he was intimately knowledgeable of his sin. Now, at one point, he was blind to his sin potentially for over a year. Where his sin with Bathsheba and committing adultery and murder and conspiracy wasn't always before him. I mean, it was always before him in the the way he knew about it, but he was suppressing the grief of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He pushed it away. He lied about it. He didn't think it was as serious as it is. But understand, guys, we cannot repent unless we specifically understand the sinfulness of our sin. Like, you can't enjoy the good news becoming great news if you don't understand how much you deserve, how you deserve punishment, how sin is serious, and that we have, we have blasphemed the name of God, that he stands and exists in infinite perfections, and that we have all been idolaters from birth, that he know, we know our transgressions, not just in our nature, but in essence, in proclivities, and in, in sins of omission and commission things that we even desire to do and do them that are not right, and things that we should do and do not do. It covers the entire landscape. But it's a grace from God when you're convicted of sin because it's only God's grace that enables you to sense it. You know that's a gift? That's a gift from God? That's a grace from God when he allows you to to snuff out sin in your life? I always tell people when I meet with them, be very afraid Be very afraid when you can't sense the grief of the Holy Spirit anymore. Be very, very concerned when the Holy Spirit no longer leads you to conviction and to repentance. Be concerned about that if it becomes numb to you. So we understand the character of our sin. The third thing is this is what's great. You understand the character of God. You understand the character of sin. But David realized it goes deeper than just his life. He realized and understood the character of who it ultimately offends. Verse 4, against you, he's talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, amazing. David doesn't blame anyone or anything for his sin. He doesn't blame it on a rough background growing up. He doesn't blame it on his parents. He doesn't blame it on anything or anyone. He doesn't talk about the trials of the past. He just basically goes, you know what? What I did was flat out evil. 
and God, you'd be totally just in punishing me for my sin. That'd be totally right. You'd be totally right in doing that. But I know your love and your mercy. Would you forgive me? Like, is that how you repent, confess of sin? Like, I know it was evil. I know it was wrong. I know it's offended you predominantly. I know I'm sinning against this person, but they're made in your image. So ultimately, the offense is against you, right? The Bible talks about this godly sorrow, worldly sorrow difference, 2 Corinthians 7. It says, hey, this, this, this worldly sorrow just leads to regret, which leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. In other words, it's not just feeling bad about your sin. Like, that's the difference. It's not just, I mean, anyone can feel bad about doing things. Anyone can feel bad about a mistake they made or someone they hurt or someone they offended. It's when you realize against you only have I sinned. That's godly sorrow. You realize the supreme source of your offense is God and not just people. That I'm grieving his heart, that he's holy, that man, you can compare yourself to other people. You'll always find someone you're better than. Like if your righteousness meter is bin Laden, you're always going to be fine right? And Hitler and whoever else. But man, you can get around other people, right? And even then feel a little inferior. But man, the gospel levels the playing field. He died for sinners of who everyone was the worst. So whether you have a lot of good works to your name, they're still unrighteous because you're trying to appease yourself and be your own God. So you're self-righteous in that, which still damns you and leaves you wanting on the day of judgment. So no matter who you are, you need Christ to stand in your place as your champion to forgive your sin who's solely righteous, who lives the life for you couldn't live, who dies as your substitute and rises and gifts you his spirit and pays your debt in full and empowers you now to live a life of repentance and joy with God. That's what we need. We need godly sorrow, and that's what David had here. He didn't have worldly sorrow. He had godly sorrow. He realized who he offended. It was against God. Not only Bathsheba against her, but against an image bearer, against abusing one of God's daughters. He realized the offense was ultimately against him. I love that he does this. He, he just says this. You know, those of you who, who manage others in a company, if you, if you work in a business, um, what's one of the things that you just hate? When someone gives you excuses, right? Doesn't that just bother you? I asked you to do that. Why did you? Oh, well. Oh, well. Right, parents, we have children, Right? When our kids come and say, well, I did my homework because I was tired. Right? Oh, that was dumb. Don't stay up late. You know? Well, I did that because, I don't know, I just, I thought it was cool. Well, that's dumb. It's not cool, right? Just excuses, right? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't do that for you in, in your business or in the management because, I don't know, I just, just fell asleep. Fell asleep on the job. You just excuses, right? Always looking for reasons to justify. And not, well, but what's music to your ears? Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I blew it. Right? You know what? What I did was wrong. You know what? I don't, I don't have an excuse for it. It was wrong. It was sinful. Dishonored you. Right? Isn't that music to your ears? Right? I mean, there's nothing I love more than Jackson, man, our precious five-year-old. When, I mean, trust me, excuses is all he knows how to say right now, right? I mean, but man, when he comes to us and he has, he, we have glimpses of it where he goes, hey, daddy, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I know that I, I did that. I, I, there's no reason I should have done that, but I just did it. You know, then it's a teaching moment. Yeah, you do that because you're a stinking sinner, Jax. Oh, okay. You know, you're sinful from birth. You're, since day one, you were a bad embryo. I mean, like all of us, right? I mean, since day one, man, we were all bad embryos. That's what David's saying here, man, from, from birth. And this is what I love about this confession of David. When he comes before God, he doesn't have excuses that we're so used to using. But God, you know how tempted I'd be in that situation, so why'd you put me there? 
or you knew that my parents were addicts and they were this way, so why'd you, why'd you, why'd you put me in that family? You knew this is how I'd grow up. But we, we just use excuses all the times like this. I mean, we, we, God, you know I wanted comfort. You know how hard of a time I'm having? Of course, you expect me not to fall. You expect me not to sin. You expect me not to do this. Well, well that's, that's not what, David doesn't do what we're so used to doing. That's justifying our sin. That's not acknowledging our sin. What's beautiful about the scriptures, 1 John tells us that if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us and we live a lie. But the beauty is it says that when we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who frees us from trying to be phony, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness if we would go and just confess our sins to him, knowing he's eager to forgive and faithful to forgive and make you righteous because of his righteousness. See, repentance is not minimizing your sin. It's not excusing your sin. It's not defending your sin. It's not avoiding your sin. It's not trying to manage your sin. It's confessing it and walking in freedom in the cross of Jesus Christ. And trusting his character and hearing him say, you are mine, I love you, and then you turn from your sin and your motivation for not sinning is not just to ease your conscience, but not to dirty your soul and belittle the name of the King of Kings. That's what, that's what it means to repent and turn to Christ. So this leads to the final piece. If these three things are clicking, this leads to actual true transformation of our character, of our inward being. We actually begin to be changed and transformed as the people of God. Verse 6, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That word delight is, is awesome. If you just take time to study it, it's to take, to take pleasure in, to experience emotional passion in someone, something, or a place. So, so David is saying, you have a, a passion and aggressive love to get into somewhere, into a particular place, and he, and he says it, he says this, in the inward being, in the secret heart, right? This, the places that we have locked away from God, Right? These, these are the, the secret spots, right? that place in life where you've said, God, you can't have that right there. No, no, I'm not going to let you know about that right there, even though he knows. And that's so funny <laughs> that we lie to him and act like we're not that bad. He's like, I, I, I see it. I see all. I saw that. Right? There's no spot you can run away from his presence and away from his sight. He's like, why won't you lean into that then for your joy instead of running from that for your destruction? Why won't you see that I'm good and see that I care and see that I can forgive and see that I dealt with that in Christ? And so the places, he says, David says, you delight in truth and the inward being. He's saying, God, I want to let you into every single place. Man, I want my life to be lived before you, but with such reproach where my inward being, the secret, the secret heart's being taught by your truth. It's being, being filled with that so that more joy comes. And more love comes. This relationship continues to grow, and I continue to be, to be grown in my inward being. This is where truth is interesting. He says, you delight in truth. So you have passion for these places that I've locked you out of, even though you see them. And then he says, you delight in truth in those places. And that word truth is not just theological information. That word truth means this strong support or this stability or this certainty. In other words, God does not just want right information. This creates a right disposition now. 
because he's now getting his truth, his passionate pursuit of you into the inward parts that you've locked up from. So what he's saying is he's the home inspector showing up to your house saying, hey, let's unlock every door, every room, even the basement that reeks. Let's get in there. Let's rid that out. Let's talk about that. Let's do business. Because I want, I want that home to be pure. I want that home to be healthy. I want my truth to permeate every space, every crevice, even the parts that are dirty, where you feel like, don't open that door. No, let's not talk about that. Let's not go there. Let's not look there. No, let's look there. He's for your joy. He's for your hope. Like, he wants to free you. We're our own slaves. You realize that? Like, we're our own worst enemies. We put ourselves in shackles. Christ ain't doing that. We're just sick and twisted, so we accuse him of doing that. When the whole time he's going, I'm trying to free you. I'm, trying, I'm showing up going, man, let me teach this truth to you to the most inward parts. You're not letting me. We're not having that conversation. We're not dealing with that sin. And the best news is, guys, that the mess is no surprise to him. Do you know that? Well, like these places where you feel so embarrassed, or you feel so guilty, or you feel so shameful. Do you, do you know that, like, that, that there's no surprise to him in that? Like, why would he have sent Christ? It makes no sense. Like, if he didn't know about the mess already. Like, before you were born. I mean, he, he knew the products we would be from a fractured, futile world born in sin. He knew what we would want to choose. He knew what we would want to love. And still in his kindness, he pursued us in Christ. It says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to lavish you with abundant love and amazing steadfast mercy. It's no surprise to him. And this is why, friends, confession still leaves you homeless without repentance. So you can just confess. But if you don't repent and say, hey, God, I, now I see this. I see what you're like. I, I see where I've sinned. Help me to turn from this. Because repentance is turning from those proclivities, actions, desires, on how God says things should be and not solely on how you define them to be. And he says joy is found there. It's about admitting that we think wrongly and God thinks rightly all the time. This is why repentance, this is why repentance needs to be woven in our life together as a faith family. You want to know why? You want to know why this is so important? Because when repentance begins to happen in, in this place, no one's trying to impress anyone anymore. Like no one can one-up anyone anymore. Like no one has business that's just too dark. Because you've created a culture to where you love opening up yourself to the God of the universe and to others. Not trying to impress anyone. When we all gaze at the same holiness of God, we all understand the same depth of our sin and that it's justifiable for him to punish us and sentence us and pour wrath on us. And then we all gaze at the same glory of the cross of Jesus Christ, where he hangs in our place for our sin, was slaughtered for us, took our sinful name and gave us his good name, took our sin-stained clothes and washed us and made us clean, appeased wrath that was supposed to be poured on us, he had it poured on himself. And then he, then he dies bearing it, showing that debt's paid, and then he realizes you're still in debt if the debt's only paid, so he credits you his infinite righteousness. 
says, now walk in freedom, walk in grace, knowing that you continually get to see this picture every time you repent of your sin and turn to me. You get to be reminded of what you've been saved from and who you've been saved to. That you have this God that is slow to anger, that is compassionate, that's abounding in love, that you push yourself headlong into his character because you know his character, so you're not running from him but to him in your darkest moments. That's what God wants for us. And then what's awesome is we're all on a level playing field now, right? So this morning, it's time for some of you. Um, it's just time for you to open doors you haven't opened. God, I've been fearing this area of my life. I've not wanted to deal with this in confessing. I realize confession's a gift this morning. I realize repentance is a gift this morning. I'm going to open this up to you. I don't know what that room is. And I'll tell you, it's not just likely confessing to him. It's confessing to others. And God will give you wisdom to do that, but it first starts with him. We, we've, we've blasphemed him. We've belittled him. We've offended him. And I'm going to give us a few minutes to confess and repent, to open up our lives. No excuses. And what's the point in lying anyways, guys? Like, what, is it just a hobby then here? Right? What's the point? There's no real digging, no real God that really acts in this way. We can really approach. And there's likely probably a couple groups of us in this room. Uh, there are some of you who have never really grasped the depth of your own sin. To talk about a holy God and His righteousness, to talk about judging you seems rigid, ungodly, unloving. Um, but until you understand the depth of your need for grace, you'll remain a self-righteous individual. And probably even more cancerous than that, you'll think that all that you have, you're owed by God. And if you don't realize your sin and how undeserving you are, the good news will never be great news to you because you'll think you always deserve it. You'll think you always earned it. You think you always have a reason for justifying it. And you may have even grown up in church and you're super religious, but you're not a Christian. Just done a bunch of religion your whole life, never been transformed by the gospel. You've just built your life on things that you do. Um, others of you, uh, you're well aware of your sinfulness. You realize how you've belittled God's name. You feel actually really guilty for it, and you don't realize how God is infinitely more gracious. And where the self-righteous person, person boasts in their pride for their self-righteous acts, and your self-loathing and self-pity, you boast in that. It's just a false form of humility that says, I'm too bad for God to save me. And you believe that you're more bad than God is good. And that's just as self-righteous as the person who tries to earn it through his merits. Maybe you need to realize that his grace is infinitely deeper than your sin. Because until you realize that, you will always remain a prideful victim your entire life. Until you allow God's kindness to move there. Man, that's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we take the Lord's Supper, because Christ has done something. God has given us an advocate that when we confess and repent and turn to him, he, he's eager to forgive because of who he is. So I want to give us a few moments here. Just take a moment with the Lord. Bow your head, close your eyes, and I, I want you to confess and repent. We ask God for help. For some of you, it might mean God revealed to me spaces where I'm honestly blind. Ask the Holy Spirit of God right now to illuminate in your heart areas, aspects where you're much more for yourself than him. It might be obvious. There might be explicit sins. There might be 
respectable sins, Jerry Bridges calls, calls them, which are even more dangerous, the, the greed in your heart, the pride that lives there, the hatred that sits there. Let God move in this way. And I want you to walk through this Psalm of David in your head as you do this. I want you to understand the character of God as you think about the seriousness of that sin. And then I want you to understand the character of your sin. Maybe even ask him to help you understand the weight of that sin. It does not matter what type. All sin damns. All sin is worth judgment. And religion is you trying to earn forgiveness for that based upon your life and your merit and fruit. We learn that repentance is earning it solely based on the fruit and life of Jesus Christ. Ask him to help you to bring you to a place where you understand the character of who it offends. First, him. It's not just a horizontal offense. It's an offense of the ageless one, the sustainer of all things, the creator of the universe. The one who if we could glance at for a millisecond, we would be incinerated by his glory and holiness. Ask God for help to turn from that and to change through the help of His Spirit. Ask Him to help you to be willing for Him to teach you in your inward being, in the secret heart, truth. Ask Him to open up those rooms and do inspection. Be honest. What's the point in lying? God, yeah, this is how I really feel. God, I, I love other things a lot more than I love you. God, I know that I have friends that are going to hell and I really don't care. I just lack love for them. I don't really have any urgency. God, I really don't love your word. I find it boring. God, I've been persistent in this cyclical sin for, for months and you know that I don't want to be there and so I'm coming to you and I'm coming to you based upon your character knowing that your grace not only helps me receive forgiveness but it allows me the ability to change and it empowers me as well and for that reason I can rejoice God, there is none like you. There's no one on earth besides you. God, 
God, we thank you that you are a God who exists in character that is beyond comprehension. That in our sin, you still loved us and died for us. God, would you help us to be a people that repent of sin and turn to Christ? Would we be a people that you teach in our inward being in the secret heart? God, would we be quick to confess our sin and eager to ask you for how you think and to conform our minds to that more than how we conform our minds to how we think? Free us from ourselves. May we see confession, repentance as a gift and not a curse, as a blessing and not something harmful. Free men and women this morning. Allow them to walk in the light. God, if there's people they need to talk with after the service, I pray they do that. If there's someone they need to call, I pray they do that. Because you're so gracious. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I, I want to read. I want to read these words before we sing. Um, because David, after he does this, his response is, is awesome. He, he doesn't walk away feeling sad. He walks away rejoicing. Um, he walks away thankful. Verse 7. I just want you to listen to this verse or read this verse. Verse 7 will be on the screen. It says this, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Um, listen, we're, we're, we're going to just, just go into song and just sing because people who are forgiven sing about forgiveness. People who understand the character of God sing about that gladly. Even in their sin, they feel their sin, but they rest, we ask God to restore the joy of our salvation. Um, so we're not going to walk out of here sad because of how we feel. We're going to walk out of here thankful for who God is. And so at any point during the back end of the service or the worship, you can come to the table and enjoy being reminded of the saving benefits of Jesus Christ. Um, but let's enjoy singing and proclaiming his name and enjoying his worth and what he's done for us in this moment, whatever you just confessed and repented of, and ask him for the help to change and be reminded of that through the songs that we close with.